everybody. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 25 of the show, Quarter Century. Yay. Too bad we haven't yes. covered that much. <laughs> <laughs> We've covered a lot of comics. We have. Like covered like 60 or 70 comics. We're going to cover FF number 17 tonight. That kind of blows me away. Yeah, I should go through and count out when we get to 100 comics and like make it a point to mention that. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, we're in May of 1963, and last episode we covered the three issues that came out on May 2nd, and tonight we're going to cover the three issues that come out on May 9th. Yay! I like three. Yeah, three's nice. I think we should try to do three like on a regular basis. If it works out, unless, yeah. Unless the, the, unless the first two take a really super long time. Um, okay, Strange Tales 111 is our starting point. Yeah. It's always a good place to start. 111. Yeah, 111. Okay. <clears throat> Which, if you add up 111, is three. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> or if we're going to quote Tolkien, we can also call this issue 1191. 1191, <laughs> yeah. 111st issue. Now... This issue is about Torch going head-to-head with the Asbestos Man. (laughs) And why they haven't come up with that sooner is beyond me. I don't know. So the Asbestos Man, he, um, here's the thing. He's an old dude who, like, wants to do crime. He's like, I'd be so good at it if I could just do crime. And you know what? The Torch is so popular. Everyone loves the Torch. He's a dork. I hate him. You know why I hate him? Because I'm the bad guy of the story. And he thinks about how he used to work for a company and his brilliant mind was um, so amazing. But then he like lost his job or something. Um, And so he realizes he could use his science to, to counterfeit money or to make chemical gases that would poison police officers. He could get all sorts of jewels so he decides, you know what? He's going to take some of his gadgets and his so some acid solvents, and he's going to go and he's going to rob a place. And he goes to a place and he tries to rob it, but an alarm goes off. He's like, oh, I didn't think to turn off the alarm. You know, if I were a good criminal, I would have thought of stuff like that. I bet you all the good criminals, they think of things like turning off the alarms. I need to go get some criminals I can work with, and I can, I can be the idea man. And they'll be the experienced guys. We'll be great together. It's going to be fantastic. But he goes to find some guys and he's like, excuse me, I have these ideas for committing a crime. I would like to speak to somebody in the underworld. And the guys in the bar are like, dude, you need to go the other way. And so he does. So he's, he's kind of, kind of um, downtrodden and downcast. And meanwhile, the human torch, who hasn't really been in the story that much, he shows up and catches some guys. And that makes... Um, the uh, the scientist guy like renewed in his desire to defeat the Human Torch because if he can defeat the Human Torch, then the criminals will be like, "Ooh, that's the guy we want to work for. That's him right there." So he goes back to his office. His, his office, I say, he goes to find a place to live. He uses the classifieds and he finds an old castle. And this this professor goes in his castle. He's like, "You know what? I'm going up against a fiery guy." I need fire protection. Huh. I know. Asbestos. 
Asbestos is a fibrous substance that is impervious to flame, and with my own special formula of asbestos, known as super asbestos, I can coat myself in the super asbestos and be the asbestos man. And he gives himself an asbestos suit with a cool helmet that kind of reminds me of a gas mask from the war. And he has a net and a shield and he is set to go. Are you my mommy? Exactly. (laughs) So later, Johnny Storm is just chilling out at his house and he gets a letter. And the letter is basically like, hey, Johnny Storm, human torch, I challenge you to a duel. I am the asbestos man. You're too scared to face me. And and Johnny's like, I'm not too scared. I'm going to flame on and go after him. And the Fantastic Four, they're all there. And they're like, dude, I want to calm down. It's probably no big deal. He's like, no, I can do it. I'm going to go after them. I'm going to find the asbestos man. And I'm going to I'm going to beat him. Um, and so he goes to the location. I think there was an address maybe given in the letter. And there's a castle. He goes into the castle. He faces off with the asbestos man. Um, there's a little bit of back and forth. Uh, the asbestos man temporarily gets the drop on him by like dropping him into a, a trap door. So he lands on like a thing full of water and the water, of course, puts his flame out. And I remember there's this one panel where like he's falling in the trap door and then suddenly out of nowhere, there are these reporters taking pictures. Yeah. Like it's a desolate, isolated, abandoned castle. But for one panel, it's like, hey, 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 ching, 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 ching. And they're there taking pictures. <laughs> Just to complete the humiliation. Right. So um, having been beaten by Dr. Octopus, Spider-Man <laughs> goes back to his house and most about how he's never going to be able to be <laughs> Spider-Man again. Yep. Only it's Johnny, and this isn't that story. <laughs> but that's what he does. And he's like, I don't I'd be the torch again. And Susan's like, I'll make you some breakfast. He's like, I like cheesy poofs. And so he goes and he talks to Susan and she helps him with his problems. And um, Johnny decides to go after the asbestos man again. Um, goes to the same castle. There are some other henchmen there this time. And instead of going after the asbestos man directly, Susan has given him the idea to go after his environment. So he starts like tearing down the castle around the asbestos man or like melting the floor he's standing on. So he gets stuck in the molten rock and stuff like that. Um, or like burning up. I think the final blow is he burns up all the air around asbestos's head. So he can't breathe any oxygen. And so finally he puts a ring of fire a ring of fire around his bestest man and his henchmen and the police come as epically cool as it was for a scientist to go crazy, become a supervillain and put the smack down on Peter Parker. And then Peter Parker coming back and overcoming those odds and winning the day. That is how epically uncool the story is. That's exactly the same. It is exactly the same plot structure, especially when you say it like that, it's exactly the same outline. And it's horrible. It, well, you know, horrible for uh, for this issue. Compared to that issue, it's nothing. Yeah. It's just funny how, like, you can have the same plot elements and just not – it's just not as good. Yeah. I wonder what all we should say. I've got, like, ten notes. Okay. Well, um, if it starts all- on the first page, my first note is, wow, that splash page is amazing. It's a great splash page. It's really good. Considering the contents inside this issue, i got to give – Credit to Dick Ayers for 
The torch is throwing a fireball the asbestos man. He's got his shield up and his net out and ready like he's in action. And behind him are the reporters snapping pictures, commenting on it all. Yeah. It's a really, really fun page. It's awesome. That makes me excited to read the issue. But then you read the issue and it's not as exciting. Right. My first note is actually from the copy on the cover. Okay. So Marvel Comics Group ushers in the Marvel Age of Comics. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I started noticing those. Marvel... In talking about the Marvel Age of Comics, I believe, to my experience reading comics, they're the ones who originated the term Golden Age to refer to what came before. Are they? As far as I can remember. Okay. And if, if, if anyone knows any places where DC was using the term Golden Age before this, I'd love to hear because I don't think that the early appearances of Jay Garrick were referred to as the Golden Age Flash. I think it was just the previous Flash. It was just a comic book, yeah. So, um, and the Golden Age was in opposition to the Marvel Age, which means when you were in the Silver Age, and you weren't calling it the Silver Age, you could be calling it the Marvel Age, which would make make that the original name for the Silver Age. Boy, wouldn't that have made them happy. (laughs) That's what they're trying for, anyway. That's exactly what they were trying for. But But, I also um, like that it's... Like kind of whether it's on purpose or not, it's ushering in that we are now getting to be a more cohesive universe. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're recognizing that all these titles are coming together, maybe. And it's it's been a year and a half, but but hey, we're here. We're making a universe. We're building a universe, as all those other startup companies used to say. Yeah. Um, I like that the torch is so well loved. He does not deserve the description in panel five. I have heard of him, the nemesis of the criminal underworld. Really? The human torch is the nemesis of the criminal underworld? Okay. On Oh, yeah. I do like that this is another one of those issues where the torch, maybe it hasn't happened with the torch, but it's happened with other issues we've read where the hero, oh, Ant-Man, where the hero is sort of just like this legend in the background and you're, fo- mm-hmm. you're focusing more on the villain or some sort of supporting character. Because that really, again, that goes to the world building. I really like... Like, the torch is only in a few panels in the first however many half. pages. Yeah, the first half, at least, of this short story. So it's like he's just this guy that everybody knows and takes care of things. But we don't know why he's there to take care of what he's uh, taking care of. He just is. Right. Now, there is a gangster named Blackie mm-hmm. in this. And Blackie is a, is a reused gangster name in Marvel. There are at least one or two others that I can think of. And I, I feel like it's used more than that. Um, so... This is not the blackie, the last blackie that we're going to see, which, as I say, that sounds like a really, really horrible sentence out of context. <laughs> Probably a common so, nickname for the criminal underworld. Yeah. Apologies. But yeah. Um, and let's see. He's really full of himself. Think about all the things he could do on page four. Like like that that gun where he's melting through the iron. Like, I'm like, hello, Melter. Right. Iron, comic, iron Man comics are over there. That's a and that's a better power than an asbestos man, right? Um, Melting through vaults is good. Covering yourself in asbestos is not. Why not do the counterfeiting thing? What's stopping him there? Why not just go make a printing press and start doing that? Yeah, because instead he goes to try and rob something. We don't know what, or do we know what? <clears throat> um, jewels, I guess. I love that. Like, see, I personally am not a master criminal. Actually, I have not dabbled in criminality at all really other than maybe pocketing a candy bar when i was a kid or something like that and feeling really bad about it but uh i know that things have alarms 
that seems like number one. Like if you're going to break into something, there's going to be an alarm. So maybe work on how to get around that. And it's, I just realized the narration says he's going to pillage the company for which he works. Okay. Because so, he didn't get fired. He just didn't like that he was his genius was working for like regular pay. Uh, okay. Or something like that. Like he thought uh, he should be rewarded more. And instead he's just like a company guy. But you know what this guy reminded me of? He reminds me of like a college graduate who has like all this knowledge but no experience in actually applying it. Yeah. Yeah. He seems really dumb because – just going to those gangsters and asking if there's any crimes he can help them with. I mean, that's just silliness. Right. I'm surprised he didn't get killed. Yeah, that, he, he could have done it, especially if they were like, you know, a little bit more sour in their or, attitudes. Or at least beaten up, yeah, or something. No one wants to be approached <laughs> like that. Anyway. So super asbestos is a thing. <sighs> is regular asbestos as good as Human Torch comics think asbestos asbestos is because is, is. <laughs> it seems like it's just impervious to all heat and flame and i feel like there's probably a temperature you could kill it at yeah i think it just does it it's fire re- i mean one thing i learned in, in fire safety lessons is that nothing is completely fireproof right but some substances would be highly fire resistant so, so i guess it's just a fibrous material that because it's made it's synthetic like the the asbestos he's encountered before has completely neutralized his abilities to do anything, even though he can go, you know, quote unquote, supernova or Because it's whatever. made from chrysotile, calcium, and iron. I don't know what chrysotile is, but calcium is the stuff in your bones. And when you burn a body, the bones are left. But you can burn bones if you do hot enough, right? I think so. I think if, I, I think they just, they break apart. I mean, isn't that they what ashes cr- they are? They crumble. Yeah, they crumble to dust and ashes and stuff. Right. So. Um, and iron doesn't burn. It'll melt eventually. So I guess... Really, really hot you get through asbestos, but generally speaking, you can't. Um, the FF show up again. I like this appearance because they answered a couple of my thoughts, which were like, are you really going to answer every letter that someone sends you that challenges you to combat, you know? And then the mm-hmm. very next panel reads says, are you really going to answer every letter that's someone- <laughs> <laughs> It's like, okay, thank you. Someone's intelligent here. Right. You uh, should definitely take Reed's advice. And Dr. Horrible agrees you can't go around fighting every poser in a parka. But then he found out that the letter was non-flammable and that's what made him decide to actually check it out although he kind of wanted to check it out anyway but now this came to his house right this is not in the fantastic four fan mail so he has the torch's mailing address number one he calls him so number two he has his phone number oh yeah he does well we've already established that sue is living publicly in this house and up until his secret identity was busted you know, we thought that was kind of comical that everybody knew Sue Storm lived here and her brother, who is not the Human Torch, also lives with her. And now now, right. that, now that's all been thrown out. So, yeah, why can't anybody write either of them or call them? I would think they'd, like, unlist their number or something. Maybe not. Well, he's a brilliant guy. Maybe he figured it out. He's a brilliant guy with the corniest dialogue ever. Answers the phone. This is the asbestos man. I presume you received my letter and are at the moment filled with a sensation of fear. <laughs> I don't blame you if you are. This guy has seen like every Boris Karloff film. He's probably seen Christopher Lee's Dracula movie. I mean, he is just, oh my gosh. Maybe we're supposed to be laughing. Maybe we are. Maybe this is <laughs> supposed to be funny. I mean, is asbestos man really supposed to be taken seriously? I don't know. I don't know. Is, this, is he asbestos man? But that's just silly in itself. I don't know. Let's pretend that they know that this is stupid. 
But <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe that changes everything. Maybe that's much more creative now. But so I, when we did the Fantastic Four commentary, I watched the first Fantastic Four movie from the the, the duology that came out years ago, and like four times in the film, someone's like chemistry 101 do you know what happens when something something does something something which is exactly what they say at the bottom of of, of page nine Mm -hmm. do you know what happens when nitrogen comes in contact with heat elements it's reminded me of that he has a nitrogen strand net of course he does um (laughs) and he thoroughly trashes the human torch Mm -hmm. but not in a fun way like slapping him and throwing him through a window he just like tosses him in a pool and then he walks home relatively unharmed where do those reporters come from? Which, if you're right, if this is supposed to be like a slapstick comedy, then they're just popping in there to snap photos is great. It's a great moment. Well, he established all this. He set this all up. So maybe that was his whole mission was like, you guys stand there. And when I defeat him, it's going to be right here. Make sure you're taking pictures. Oh, wait. I, actually, yeah. At the top of page nine, I just saw this. I don't know why I missed it before. He does call the press. To, so that the underworld may read of the torch's defeat. But the next panel of the torch is like emphasizing how empty the place is. Well, this, and they just come out of nowhere. It's just two guys, though. Maybe they were just hiding. I don't know. Maybe they were just hiding. Um, I love that, um, you know, Sue's the one who comes up with the idea to do something different. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. I also thought it was cool that it, the idea wasn't go call thing and have him punch this dude for you. You know, it was like, no. it was like, you can take him on. You can beat him. You're just not trying hard enough. Think of some other ways. But like at the top of page 11, mm-hmm. look, Johnny, tell me everything that happened. Maybe we can find a way. Yes. It's good that she's there. She's being there for her brother, but look at her eyes. She is so bored of all this <laughs> angst from little Johnny. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of like when you're, you know, your kid is like, I can't finish this report on time or whatever. We can come up with a way. We can figure it out. Yeah. And the only other thought I have is at the end, whenever he takes all of the guy's air away and the asbestos man is having trouble breathing, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not the only trouble breathing that you're going to have. Why? What do having, you mean? Oh. Having been coated in asbestos. Oh, well, yeah. And he's wearing a gas mask, so dang it, that thing doesn't have oxygen. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, well. It's a cool panel, though. I actually like the panel right before on this previous page where he jumps out and says flame on and only half his body's in flame. That's kind of neat, too. But It is neat where he's like in the process of flaming on. That's a cool shot. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess we do probably see more asbestos, man. I think there are a couple more appearances someday. Uh, but he's not a winner. No, he's not a winner. Um, next issue, though, the next uh, Human Torch story, mm-hmm. Jerry Siegel. Jerry Siegel. Jerry Siegel writes it. What? Yes. And does he come up with anybody we care about? He comes up with a character that stays. Okay. Well, tune in, kids. Have you heard of the eel? Yeah. Yeah. He's a member of the Serpent Society someday or something. Exactly. But first, he's a Strange Tales villain by Jerry Siegel. Wow. Cool. So um, that takes us to Doctor Strange, Master of Black Magic. Mm -hmm. That's his tagline? Yes. I didn't notice that before. That that raises questions for me. But okay. Yeah, yeah. He's not the Sorcerer Supreme yet. He's just the master of black magic. Um, so Doctor Strange is, of course, portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Bumblebee Pumpkin Patch. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, this is face-to-face with the magic of Baron Mordo. Now, we don't really know who Baron Mordo is yet. He kind of comes into this story. We don't have any, we don't have an origin story for Doctor Strange or for Baron Mordo. We're going to get both 
not too much longer. But um, Baron Mordo is another student of the same master that Doctor Strange studied under. And he's decided that he needs to get the last secrets of black magic from the master, or the master can just go die, like, now. So it's kind of like a Sith Lord. He's like, he can't learn anything else from his master, so he's going to kill him and take over and become the new Sith Lord. Um, So he goes in his... They don't use the term astral form. I think they use the term spirit image. Mm -hmm. He uses his spirit image to go and attack the ancient one. I'm sorry. He's not called that either. He's called the master. And um, the master is all like headachey and woozy and oh my gosh. And um, Dr. Strange is just kind of doing his normal thing. He's finished something in magic and wants to talk to the master about it. So he calls him on his telepathic magic brain phone and they master doesn't answer i don't know so he sits down and goes into a trance and sends his own spirit figure spirit form to the master and finds baron mordo there and they have an argument these these like white spirit figures argue and the white spirit figures start arguing now spirit figures can't directly i guess they can directly harm but he can't like punch a body you can punch each other if you're both spirit figures. Mm-hmm. So they're like dueling and fighting. And, and eventually, um, Doctor Strange threatens to do something with his amulet. And Baron Mordo... Oh, he threatens to do something to Baron Mordo's body with his amulet. If Baron Mordo doesn't stop. And Mordo's like, no, 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 I can beat you. I should go back to my body and I'll beat you. He goes back to his body. Doctor Strange follows him to his body. And then he's like, ha, ha, ha. I've beat you. I've followed you to your body. And I can take you with hypnosis or something, unless you leave the master alone. I win. Something like that. What, what did I miss? I feel like that's, there's more to it than so that. So they're fighting little fist fights in their spirit world, and he uses the amulet to restore the master, which leaves him weak. But then he says something like, you know, my enchanted amulet can transmit its energy to wherever your mortal body may be. And the mortal, and more, what's his name, goes back and, and, Doctor Strange is like, ah, I just wanted you to go back to your body because that way the master has time to recover. Now you can't hurt him anymore because he's on to you. So, see ya. It was just a stall tactic. Okay. But the idea is that whenever he gets back to his body, like... Oh, he did go back to his body. Mordo did or whatever. And then... Yeah, Mordo did. And then, so like that that allowed the master to recover. And now he's not going to drink any more poison from, you know, anybody. Okay. And they end with a note, I'm looking at it now, that like, you've done well, but Baron Mordo's going to threaten us as long as he lives. And Doctor Strange is like, that might not be much longer, Master. I think Death is waiting for one of us. Not true. They both live for a very long time. Yeah. This kind of felt like the last issue. If I was Stan Lee right now, I'd, I'd be worried too, I think. Because yeah. it's not really all that interesting so far. I don't have a lot of thoughts on this, except for what I mentioned about how like their names are still not established. Mm-hmm. Um. And black also, magic, black magic. Yes. Like I, it's one thing Mordo wants black magic, but then it turns out, well, Dr. Strange plays with black magic too. And they all learn black magic and all they use is black magic. So all these guys are like black magic to me sounds evil. So I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know why they wanted to use that phrasing. Yeah. I lo- of course, especially since we're used to it being mystic arts. Yeah. So that's interesting. Like, it's not like Mordo is the only one who wants black magic. They all use it. Right. And they're both pupils of the same guy. 
he just wanted more of it, I guess, or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Mordo threatens the master with death. Mm-hmm. And I've never been super old, but I feel like there comes a time when you're so like advanced in years that if someone threatens you with death, it doesn't feel like that big of a deal. Right. Like, I, I, you can kill me. I, I died all I'm going to do pretty much. And it was all, maybe I'm it's all just I feel like I've so seen that, that in stories. It's just also that he's the most powerful guy. I mean, that's the only. Yeah. Um, well, I think that if Mordo oh. wants to do bad things, then the master will be in his way, and Doctor Strange will be in his way. Actually, he says, "Now your most cloudy guard secrets of black black magic. Tell me, tell them to me, or I shall allow my potion to make you weaker and weaker until you're dead." So uh, okay. he's holding an antidote over him, blackmailing him. Gotcha. But that's and I feel like, like how much more? How much can you tell him in between the time you're about to die and you know when he can give you the antidote? Right. And I feel like Doctor Strange's threat shouldn't actually work because the amulet isn't actually there. Right. It's just Strange's spirit form that happens to look like it's wearing clothing. But I've also never studied black magic, so what do I know? Or whether he can do this in the future. Yeah. He says he, yeah. he concentrates pure power through the amulet, but yeah, that's not the amulet. The amulet's back at his house. Um, and yeah, this is the second of Doctor Strange's major nemeses. I think Mordo is probably more major than Nightmare, but I don't know for certain. Oh, yeah. Um, definitely. Doctor Strange still definitely looks uh, like he's supposed intended to be read as Asian. And Mordo uh, does not look black? No. Isn't he in the Should movie? He? Isn't he in the movie? Oh, yeah. In the movie, he is. You're right. Yeah. yeah. I thought, God, um, did I get that guy wrong this whole time? I thought he was Mordo. No, but- no. He, yeah, he's the guy in the movie. So in the movie, you get the friendship that these two apparently used to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I say apparently because we don't really know a whole lot about them. And by the end of the movie, Mordo is opposed to Strange. That's an interesting take because it's like now you're putting, you're making it so Professor X is a shady character and your teacher wasn't as cool as you thought he was, you know? Right. That's a very Marvel thing. But I don't think this Mordo was, is, uh, you know, um, <sighs> I can't find the word I'm looking for. Motivated by that. There is a story way, way down the road where Mordo is so advanced in years that he actually – um, regrets his lifestyle and tries to make it out to Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange is so angry at him that he won't accept forgiveness. Wow. Yeah. So, so anyway, two, two stories Doctor, in a row. That's, of, that's the Strange Tales 111. Two stories in a row of astral projection. I'm kind of tired of it. Let's do something different. Especially yes. since all they do is punch. It's like, well, that's not exciting. Come on. This is a magic show. Let's see some magic. Oh, it's worth noting that the next issue will not have Doctor Strange. They're going to go into their wait and see period, and um, we're going to have two issues of absence before he comes back. Okay. Well, maybe he'll get his act together and come up with something cool. But <laughs> maybe in he will. the meantime, we've got our best book of the month, usually, sometimes. No spoilers. Maybe it's not. But Fantastic Four and number 17 by Stanley and Jack Kirby, still, continuously. It's called Defeated. By Doctor Doom. So we've had Loki four times. What have we had? Doctor Doom that many times also, seems like. Five, at least. six. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Issue five, issue six, issue ten, last issue, and this issue. Wow. So this is fifth. So he is the most reoccurring villains, probably. Yeah. He, yeah. He has to be. Okay. So it starts out right where we left off. They're all waving goodbye to Ant-Man. He doesn't even have any dialogue, but technically he has an appearance for all you Ant-Man completists out there. <laughs> he is in this issue. They all wave goodbye. They say how amazing he is. 
And then they decide to start turning their efforts to looking for Doom, who, as we all recall, escaped last issue. They recall it too, but I don't need to recap that. Um, and they all try in their various ways and fail miserably. So then later they decide they're going to go to do real life stuff and they're all dressed up to do their different things. But they can't leave the place because it's surrounded by fans. So this one guy, this like worker guy is like, hey, there's a worker elevator over here. Why don't you just come down this way? I really am glad to meet you guys. You're my favorite superheroes. and I'm a big fan. And they're all like, you know, charmed by this old man. And they all shake his hand. But it turns out he puts little transmitters on each one of their hands. And that's because he's not a charming old worker man. He's Dr. Doom. Um, and what those things do is let his um, – and yes, I'm serious here – let his ghost robots follow them around. So what is a ghost robot? Well, I guess it's a robot that you can't touch. It's exactly what it sounds right. like. It's a ghost robot because it follows each of them. It goes to, let's see, Johnny's on a date with a new girl. It follows him around. He can't defeat it because it won't touch it. So it's just following him obnoxiously. Doesn't try and hurt him. Just follows him around. Um, thing and Alicia are on a date. Same thing. Uh, Reed Richards is getting an honorary doctorate. Same thing. And Sue is, I think, like getting a magazine photo shoot or something. Same thing. So they all go home. With these ghosts just floating around. They're like, how do we stop these things? So Reed figures out some doohickey to stop them. But meanwhile, the whole point of them was is they were spying on the Fantastic Four. So Dr. Doom learns about Alicia. He kidnaps Alicia and sucks her up into his uh, floating laboratory that's hidden behind this cloud. And then meanwhile, Reed Richards back at the Baxter building has determined where Dr. Doom is. Because he noted that there was this weird, ominous pink cloud over New York. So he created a gadget that could read it. And he could see that Dr. Doom's laboratory is in there. But he can also see that Dr. Doom has a disintegrator gun. And what's more, he's figured out that that disintegrator gun is honed in on their DNA structure or something like that. So that's really what those robot ghosts were doing. We're like reading or scanning their biometric blah 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 so that this gun will not let them in. And then Dr. Doom releases a newspaper that challenges or holds Alicia hostage. And actually, he demands to be on the presidential cabinet. We could talk about that in a second. I don't really get that one. But um, so, of course, Ben freaks out. But then he comes to his senses. And then Reed is like, look, the only guy who can get in is the guy who can change his genetic structure. So I'm going to create a potion that once again turns thing into Ben, human Ben Grimm. I'm going to hope that it lasts just long enough to get him past the def defenses and then turn him back to the thing because we don't want a human Ben Grimm on this thing, on the uh, laboratory. So they do just that. It works just like that. He makes it. He turns into the thing. He destroys the disintegrator gun. He invites the others up. Um, they all kind of split up and have their own issues like – I think uh, Reed Richards is in a room full of cement and he manages to squeak through the pores, the air pockets and underneath the door before it solidifies too fast. I can't remember what the heck. Yeah, it's like, it's like a drying concrete. So he's like, yeah, or but so he goes through the air pockets and it before it solidifies, and he gets out. And something bad happens with Johnny. I can't remember. And the thing like the door or the, the floor opens up underneath him and he's going to fall to his death, except there's like this nice big handy metal piece of rod or something in the middle of the room that he's able to crunch with his awesome strength and 
crawl himself out. So while they're all doing that, though, Sue turns invisible and finds Alicia because she's the smartest one of the group. And she's like, okay, Alicia, go hide in this closet or whatever, and I'll take your place. And Doom goes to get Alicia, you know, to threaten and hold her hostage. And he sees that it's the invisible woman. And he's like, well... One dumb broad will do over another. And she's like, who are you calling a dumb broad? And she locks him in and she's like, now you're my hostage. And he's like, what? And she starts beating on him. (laughs) And he like presses this button and all these like poles come out of the wall to try and hurt her and stuff like that. But it doesn't work. And she beats him up with judo. Um, Yes. And then they show up to help finish the job. He freaks out or falls out of his airplane and plummets to his death, seemingly. We know that's not true. And then I think that's uh, the end. Or did I miss something? Yeah. Nope. Uh, they all, you know, they find Alicia a prisoner and save her. And Sue's like, hey, I'm right here. And she sneaks up behind Reed Invisible. That's a little trick. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah. He thinks that she's not there or something. He can't find her. And she's scared. And he's like, no, I've been here the whole time, Sue. And he's like, darling, if anything had happened to you. And then they tee-hee and hug and stuff. So that's kind of important. Especially in our ongoing uh, narration of the drama between those two. Right. Yeah, this is a fun issue. Very. Um, Yeah, I... They are rocking all cylinders on this book, man. I really got into this one. Um, I I like that it's continued from last issue. Mm -hmm. We're not not into cliffhangers yet, but they are doing issues that are like narratively continued from one to the next. Yeah. Um, Ant-Man goes off... And they, he mentions, I'll put away this little launching platform. They built their own little catapult for him. He just builds these catapults wherever he goes. He like, you know, either has a catapult or like he gets a rubber band and some some popsicle sticks or something. He's like all about the catapult. Well, considering the things that Reed builds in this issue, that catapult is like nothing for him. <laughs> You're right. There is some awesome stuff that he builds here. One of which doesn't do any, doesn't even work, but I still think it's the coolest looking thing ever. Which one's that? The first one where he creates this uh, like scanner that can theoretically oh, find yeah. find Doctor Doom's flesh covered steel, and it's this steel covered flesh. But oh yeah, yeah it's this like yeah, scratch that, reverse it. Um, it's this total Kirby tricked out thing. He's got the helmet and everything. I mean, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But I still like it. I still like that it's in there. Well, it may function correctly, but it is not successful in finding Doctor Doom. And, and like I said um, earlier. If the thing is reading Ant-Man comics at the bottom of the first page there. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man just left. Now he's reading Ant-Man comics. Yeah. Ant-Man and the... I can't really make out what it says. I'm yeah, it starts with an M. I'm trying to read the title. Mira something. Yeah, it doesn't say. Too bad it's not like a story we've actually read. That'd be cool. Um, She says that... You know, Sue says at the bottom of page two, don't forget while you two are swapping platitudes, Dr. Doom managed to escape via the enlarging ray, and he's free here on earth at this very minute. Mm-hmm. And I was going to poke fun at her for saying on earth, but he hasn't actually really been on earth since issue six. Right. Like issue six, they left him in space. Issue 10, he was shrunk down to the quantum realm and, uh, or microverse. I don't know if you want to go movie description or comic description. So he hasn't really been like a viable on planet threat for a long time. And I like that we're so early in these comics that, you know, if he escapes last issue, we are going to have a double Doctor Doom, you know, showdown because it's important to follow up on that and find him. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the future, he's a major threat. Where in the future, he's just a staple. He's always around. Who cares? You know, because he's the emperor of Latveria and he's just over there being Latverian emperor. Right. Um, so, yeah, they all try and find him immediately. They all fail. But it's comical. The, uh, 
the thing coming up out of the sewer reminded me of the first issue. Yeah, he's being awfully destructive. Like in p- page four. Yeah, he comes up out of the tour, sewer tunnel through the street in front of a car. That was very much Fantastic Four number one. I love that he saves that girl on accident, though. Yeah. Ah, it's it's just funny. And then she's, he's, you saved my life. Sure, sure. I'm a big, handsome hero. Whatever. I'm just trying to get to this. I don't, I don't like that Sue comes across these dudes who are selling arms and the guy claims it's a bullet that'll never miss. And she makes it miss because she's invisible. And, but then she's just like, I'm leaving. I'm not going to explain myself. I'm just going to get. He's like, so it never misses, huh? And I thought you were a great inventor. I can't understand it. Try it once more, please. I know it'll work. It sure will, because I'm buttoned out from now on. And then she just takes off. I don't know. That's, He's embarrassed. I guess. Like, maybe stop the criminals, but whatever. Um, well, no, because no, it's, just, it's just a bubble shooter. It's just a toy. Oh, are you serious? I didn't get that part. Yeah. No, it's shooting ping pong balls. Where did they say that? And the second panel on the top of the page. That's what I get for skimming, I guess. That's fine. It happens. (laughs) I was like, she's just letting these two criminals get away because she was embarrassed or something. Here's the thing, though, about searching the city. Reed is using his device, and they're like, we should help by searching the city. It's the city. Capital T, capital C. Uh New York is big. Manhattan is big. And all they're doing is searching the sidewalks in the blocks around the Baxter building, just in case Doom's out for a stroll. How about this? Human Torch flies up and says, I'll send out sonar heat waves. With a little luck, I may detect the vibration of Doom's steel. Yeah, no, you can try that because you think you're smart. What the heck? It's not going to work. Right? That's crazy. I, I, I chalked that up to Johnny Storm not being smart. We like, Hey, I'll do this. And it, no, it's done. Especially since that's literally what Reed just talked about doing with his awesome machine. So he's probably just trying to copy. (laughs) I can do it with fire too. That's exactly what he's doing. He's like, I can do what Reed's doing. Only I'll be better because I'll be out here with my fire and I can send out the flame and stupid big future brother-in-law. He's not that smart. Okay. Uh, And then they use the private elevator because remember how they have a private elevator? Mm -hmm. I feel like it's going to disappear. And I'm waiting for it to maybe disappear. But they use it here. But it doesn't work. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're going to use it, but they don't use it because the crowds are there. So um, the custodian's like, hey, get over here. Use the freight elevator. Yeah. Okay. Now, this guy is Dr. Doom. Mm-hmm. So he is a guy wearing metal armor over his skin, wearing fake skin over his metal armor. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, huh? Hey, that- and he pulls off the mask and the bat cowl shows up. That's why they couldn't find him. Because oh, his steel-covered flesh was covered in flesh. He had rubber flesh, yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, so Paige, he, he sends out his ghost robots. Uh-huh. And they're kind of ridiculous. Very. They're like the biggest downside of this issue. Is they're just like out there. They just come out of like this little chimney thing or something. And they're, right. and they're like one's spotted, one isn't. And it's like there's no real rhyme or reason why any of them are anything. And turns out they're scanning the four to get, like, the molecular atomic uh-huh. layout or whatever. But you don't find that out at first. He just says, you know, um, but the first phase of my plan has ended. I only intended to embarrass and confuse them. Right. Now I should go to work. I know. I was really disappointed by that. I was like, is that all that was? <laughs> it's like, the first phase was just comic book silliness. Now I'm really going to start. Right. So this wasn't a big master plan because if he's spying on them, trying to figure out – an angle to defeat them, 
this is very much make it up as I go. Yes. And then it sounds like Dr. Doom might have some sort of social syndrome, like Asperger's or something. He's like, although my brain is the equal of Reed Richards himself, I too have had my one weak spot. I have never fully understood other human beings. I cannot comprehend how one as lovely as Alicia can feel affection for the grotesque thing. This is not understanding social dynamics. And this is giving us which is what? something to feel sad about for Dr. Doom. A little bit. A little bit. It's kind of weird. He's on, he's, he might be on the spectrum. We're trying to humanize him a little. Because he's never complained about his looks before. He's talked about them. Oh, I guess he... I don't know if he did in, their, in Stan and Jack's office. He definitely made a mention of it. Yeah, he's talked about his hideous face that no one can see. But, no one but can look like, at. not that girls can't love me. Right. Uh, Other humans. I cannot expose my face to them. No, it's all just like, he can't bear to look at it himself. Time becomes really funny here in the story. Mm-hmm. So let, let's let's recap. They went out looking for Dr. Doom and they got caught by the robots. And that was in the evening because they were all dressed up. And it says later that night after the fabulous foursome have met to compare notes, um, they're all dressed up and they go out and they get you know followed by the robots. Then Alicia gets caught during the day. Right. It's daylight outside. Mm-hmm. And now on page 10, we are at later that day. Right. And when they see the newspaper. Now, the newspaper could take a few hours to come out, or it could be like a comic book newspaper and come out the very next minute. Yeah. Um, they should have said a few days some, later or something. Yeah, which would mean that, the, that she's been captured for several days. The only place where I can think of where there might have been an, a time jump that just wasn't specified is during Dr. Doom's planning on page eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Like he, he sent out the robots. They trailed the four. He's figured out he's going to go after Alicia. He makes some plans and there may be some passage of time there that just isn't stipulated. Right. And maybe so the next day maybe is when he goes after Alicia. Yeah. Cause it even has a picture of her being kidnapped. So. Right. But, um, but anyway, um, let's see. I don't like the whole his whole idea of he wants to be on the president's cabinet. I don't see how that would work for anybody. Right. Like like, like what president's like, you know what, let's go save those people. No, I do him say you don't. That's my vote anyway. Like, is he happy with that? Because he And the the ca- he wouldn't he wouldn't be in charge of anything. Well, the cabinet, that's the heads of the, all the departments, like the Secretary of the, the Treasury and the Secretary of yeah, but, Education. Yeah, but you're not so, ruling the world. No, you're overseeing a governmental department. Like, why not just so, run if that's all you want? He wants to be in charge of teachers? <laughs> right. It just seemed weird. Like, usually it's about world domination for this guy. So presidential cabinet just seemed like a real downplay for him. I did like um, the thing's passion on that page, though, because, like, He's finally found acceptance as a monster from a woman who, bonus, looks just like the previous woman he was in love with. So he's not going to jeopardize this. And now this woman has been captured by Dr. Doom. He is he is very upset. Don't say that, Reed. Not while Alicia's his prisoner. You mustn't cross him, do you hear? I won't let you. So much he like starts swinging at Reed. That's cool. And then I like the follow-up where he kind of comes to his senses and tells Reed that if, he would, if he's going to depend on anybody, it would be Reed. Right. Um, which he hasn't. I don't know if he said that at all so far, but, you know, usually it's I blame Reed for what happened to me. So it's nice to, you know, solidify that at one point they had a friendship. Yeah. I liked seeing the little shot of John F. Kennedy. That was sweet. (laughs) His hair. Yeah. And his uh, wife and daughter in the background. Uh Uh-huh. And I thought that using Ben's changes as a plot point and, like, 
working that to the advantage of the plot was rather clever. Yeah, that and I liked, even though it's probably not particularly accurate, I liked the diagram he he had on that panel prior. Yeah, that's a little bit ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but it looks cool. I don't know. Yeah. That worked for me. But yes, that's a great idea that, you know, we can't get through here because he's got all all our genetics on, you know, disintegration mode or whatever. But we could change Ben. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a cool idea. Mm -hmm. And I love that Ben, like, struggles to maintain his human form long enough to get in because he's he starts changing back before he makes it. Yes, he does. But he is able to keep by the strength of his own unconquerable determination alone. He forces himself to remain normal for just another few seconds. So that suggests that maybe he does have control over this somehow. If he could just try harder. If he can figure out the mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. Does Maybe he- they can give him some sort of formula where he can change back and forth at will. Doesn't he figure out the mechanism at some point or am I misremembering that? No, I, I, yeah, I think that happens eventually. He does learn how to change back and forth by choice. And then, of course, that goes away. But anyway. Eventually. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was just a really cool scene that he gets to come in first and he gets to destroy the disintegrator gun and then he lets everybody else in. And all this stuff is fun. I forgot what Johnny's thing was. It turns out it's a, uh, now that I'm looking, it's a spinning fan. Um, and he just destroys it. So that was no problem. It knocked him out. But uh, A while back, you had mentioned... Um the Great Lakes Avengers, and there was a panel uh-huh. where Reed Richards looked like one of those members, and you couldn't remember his name. Flatman or something? On yeah. Flatman, yeah. Because I've, I've since read An Adventure of the Great Lakes Avengers, and on page 17, uh-huh. he's, um, he's Flatman there's another again. Flat Reed, yeah. You know, you know Flatman came from Reed Richards. That has to be. Flatman is exactly Reed Richards' design, just, you know, flat. Mm-hmm. So someone was reading that and thought, that's a cool look. Why can't he be like that all the time? Right. Okay. So we have all the different Fantastic Four doing their things, and all the bubbles attack them, and that's terrible. Um, I forgot about that. Page 19, whenever Johnny Storm says, no, 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 you didn't get us. You got our flame duplicates. Oh, yeah. And he shows he can do a flame duplicate by creating a flame (laughs) duplicate of Doctor Doom. Yeah. Okay. Making a flame image of himself. Makes sense. That's one... yeah, there, there's a certain amount of unbelievability there, but it makes a little bit of sense. He is a man of fire. Making another shape of fire and controlling it, you know, that's a thing. Um, but then we had that one issue where he, like, made a heat illusion of dynamite. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That that was a bit less easy to swallow. And here, he's creating a color-accurate replica of someone else with his flames. No, that's it. It's, it's time to stop reading comics, kids. It, We're done. Yeah. He needs to dial it back a little bit. I'm sick of the Green Lantern stuff. I'm sick of the melting bullets. I'm sick of the, like, I mean, I guess you could change the color of flame based on intensity, but that, even then, like, how come Dr. Doom's not just like, I don't know, like flame has a certain uh, wave or something to it. I just don't see how anybody could believe it as a solid. Yeah, no. And, and um, even the color thing, like, yes, you could, but how much control do you have that you can make the exact green at the right, in the right spots? Yeah. Right. I mean, flame changes based on temperature. It also changes based on what substance is burning. Because, like, you know, some metals burn with colored flames. That's how they do fireworks. Yeah. But this is, yeah, there's no way Mm -mm. this is even beginning to come close to happening. Um, But then Susan Storm starts being awesome. This is the best part. Right? I I was so surprised by this because we've got nothing like this so far. In fact, we keep making fun of how they're always patting her on the head and talking about, you know, how it's great to have her around for morale and making sandwiches and stuff. 
Right. And then we get her closing the door and saying, you're making one small mistake, my friend. It is you who are my prisoner. And he has this look it's a like great Dorm. line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she proceeds to and kick the whole his butt. Next page. She dodges his traps. She disables them herself. She pushes the same buttons he tries to turn them on. She takes him down, like you said, and she boasts about it that, you know, she was been trained to fight by Mr. Fantastic. Maybe Dr. Doom is smarter than Mr. Fantastic. Maybe not, but she can fight like he can. So that was the one part was like, Reed Richards knows judo. You know, was that established somewhere before? Yeah. Because you're right. Usually that sentence ends with, don't you ever forget that I was taught judo by one of the world's greatest experts, Captain America. Right. But, or Batman. But they don't have the those people yet. So it's netted now it's Reed Richards. And I thought, really? When did when did the nerd learn how to be like the greatest judo guy in the world? But so <laughs> other than that sentence, I really thought they really gave her her due here. What are your thoughts on Doctor Doom's mask emoting? Uh, I don't love it. I'm I'm not sure if it's supposed to be real emoting or just like playing with shadows or something. But it does look legit, like he's frowning in that one ish one panel. Um, I think yeah, I, yeah. There's a wide variation. I think that. it's scarier and more soulless. That's why masks are kind of creepy when they don't move. So right. to come up with another way. Like I'm kind of cool with Spider-Man's eyes moving, especially now that they've established it in the MCU as like a electronic thing or something. But mm-hmm. uh, but Doom, I think, would be scarier if his face just didn't move. Yeah. Like having, having him do that grr thing kind of looks like, you know, comical. And then we get to an interesting scene for me. Yeah. Because Dr. Doom's next appearance is Amazing Spider-Man number five. Oh, really? Okay. And what do they do whenever Dr. Doom shows up? They always explain how he's still alive after the last time he showed up. Mm -hmm. And so I have seen this scene from the end of the Fantastic Four 17. Oh. I've seen it in Fantastic Four, in Amazing Spider-Man 5, 57 times. Uh And so this was was my introduction to Dr. Doom versus the Fantastic Four. It's him falling through. And then once he gets below the cod line... He reveals he has a jetpack and like goes off to safety. <gasps> Spoilers. Spoilers. Okay. So um, well, that wasn't hard to figure out, was it? Yeah. So whenever I first read through these comics through the Marvel Masterworks trade paper, uh, back volumes, you know, in my teens, finding the issue that like left off before Amazing Spider-Man Five was like a kind of a neat little find for me. Okay, so now check out this last three panels, right? <laughs> yeah, Johnny. Sue is gone. We've got to find her. Don't worry, Reed, dear. You never lost to me. Now, you could just say she means that right now, literally. But what if we're looking bigger picture here and she's trying to tell him, like, I'm into you again. And you never really you never really lost me. Yeah, I flirted a little bit with being mad at you and looking at that dude with the hot abs. But you never really lost me. And then they're hugging in the last panel. Like all romantic. They are hugging the last panel. And he's calling her darling. Um, so I think they are finding the beginnings of their romance again. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Whether whether she meant that double meaning there or not, they're finding the beginnings of something they used to have again. I mean, if she ignores him next issue, then everything I just said makes no sense. But we'll see if she keeps going with the lovey-dovey. Well, I did just happen to flip a couple pages. Mm-hmm. And he takes her swimming at the beginning of next issue. Hey, so. Well, there you go. That's romantic. Yeah, that's romantic. Um, but then like the whole thing is ruined by Johnny saying, what a lot of mush, <laughs> like mush, Johnny, really? What was that with Helen earlier? In the right. Camp? You would think he, what was that? he would like it. 
But then again, it's his sister. It's his sister, and it's, you know, maybe he's just voicing his, you know, I'm getting left out here. I don't have anyone to smush with. Right. So um, next issue is the scrolls with a special warrior, the super scroll. Nice. Yeah, I like this one. This is definitely a contender for favorite. Definitely a contender. Um, but speaking of amazing romances, do you want to squeeze in like the best romance ever? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so I mentioned last time. Yeah. We talked about Iron Man. Mm-hmm. I felt like having Kala and Cleopatra back to back is a bit of a disheartening move. Happily, the cover is like the worst part of this book. I hate this cover. Oh, really? And yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so I'm looking at it now, and I feel like in my head, she's all like goofy grinning on the cover, but she's not in this recolored version. Um, anyways, I don't like the cover. Um, but what this is, is this is Iron Man facing the menace of the Mad Pharaoh. And I'm glad it has the t- that title, because it's also like Iron Man meets Cleopatra, because there's a Cleopatra movie coming out. Yeah. You want to tie into that? Is that what's going um, on? Yes. That's when that the came out? The big Elizabeth Taylor Cleopatra film. Oh, gosh. Is coming out a month after this hit stands. And Iron Man actually goes to see it in the last panel of the book. Does he really? Um, I, mean, I didn't even notice that. My eyes, yes. my eyes were probably rolled over by the time I hit that panel. This was the most expensive movie that had ever been made to date by a wide margin. Okay. And it was a five plus hour film i have never seen it that got trimmed down to three uh-huh. and then for 50th anniversary release was expanded back up to four but it was um yeah it was a huge film and the reduced version that actually hit theaters did not do well um that some of the heart of the film was restored by putting another hour back in um i have not seen the film this is all going on you know other people's opinions online um i when I found out about it two hours before we started recording, I kind of wished I'd had the chance to go see it before we did our show. Oh, that's not worth um, it. I can guarantee you that's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I might, I might spend some hours tomorrow watching. Well, not to, it may be worth it to watch or watch that movie, but not worth it just to talk about this issue. No, no, no. But just, you know, just to say that I, I saw it. So, um, okay. Tony Stark is out. Um, he's going to Egypt. And as he's going to Egypt, the, the reporters are like, hey, Tony, you know, all the women love you. How do you think you'd do with the siren of the Nile? And Tony's like, what, Cleopatra? Huh? I bet she couldn't stand. I bet she couldn't, you know, resist me or something like that. And he goes to Egypt, which is remarkably free of brown people, despite the fact that it's in Africa. <laughs> um, and there's an archaeologist who's raiding a, a cultural. I mean, he's opening up a tomb to learn what's inside. Uh, it's King Hatap's tomb, I think is the name. Sounds and, right. Yeah, something like that. Um, he doesn't know how to open it because he doesn't want to risk destroying anything inside or uh, tripping a trap or, or damaging anything. And so Tony's like, hey, you know what? If, if, you, if you ask Iron Man, he has like devices that can like scan the inside of this with sonar and stuff. You can find out what, what it's like without even looking. And guy's like, yeah, great. I don't know Iron Man. Tony's like, ha ha, I do. We're friends. So you know what? I'm going to go call him and he should be out here in a little bit. So um, that night he goes out swinging at Casablanca or something. 
uh, and he gets tired and has to run upstairs and plug in because if he doesn't plug in and recharge his chest plate, he will actually die. So that reveals that he has like his Iron Man costume with him. The next day he shows up at the tomb as Iron Man. He helps the guy find the right place to go into the tomb. He uses his Iron Man uh, attachments to drill into the tomb. They find the uh, burial chamber with lots of writing all over the walls. They find the mummy's sarcophagus of the mad pharaoh. They open it up and Iron Man's like, yeah, this is cool. Uh, I'll let you inside. It's time to go now. He flies away. Um, later, Tony Stark returns and the mummy has vanished. Turns out the mummy is actually a living King Hatap, complete with, you know, robes and uh, Pharaoh style hat. Um, Hatap threatens Tony with like the death of all of his people if he doesn't go with them back in time. But Tony's like, yeah, I want to go back in time. This is a cool offer. If this is actually really happening, if this is real, I totally want to go back in time. So they go back in time to Egypt. And um, let's see. I think Tony falls off a dune. Yeah, Tony falls off. A- oh, the reason they're going back in time, the reason that the king wants him to go back in time is to help him beat Cleopatra. Yes. King Hatap was ostensibly killed during a rebellion against Queen Cleopatra. And he wasn't really, he, they thought he took poison and died, but no, he took a um, immortality potion or something and didn't die. It, so, standard super, super soldier frozen in ice potion or something. He wants Tony Stark's help in defeating Queen Cleopatra because he has like modern understandings of everything. Mm-hmm. They go back in time. Tony Stark falls off a dune, hides behind the dune, turns into Iron Man because, of course, he has to preserve his secret identity in <laughs> 2000 years ago, <laughs> Egypt. <laughs> Um, uh. flies to the Egyptian castle and the Roman legions are attacking it. So he's like, well, you know, I like an underdog. I'll help Egypt out against these attacking Roman legions. So he fights off the Roman legions, destroys some chariots, uh, pushes back some soldiers, goes to the castle. And, and um, he's like, man, I wish you'd gotten here earlier. The queen's been captured. And he's like, you mean Queen Cleopatra? And so Iron Man flies out to the boats where... Cleopatra has been taken prisoner by the Romans. He saves her, takes her back, and she's queen in her castle. And she's like, you know, you're you're a marvelous man. I wish you could help me uh, preserve my throne. Um, and, oh, yeah, then they decide to go after Haytap, because that's a plot point. So Haytap's attacking. Iron Man does this thing <laughs> where he puts little wheels like, you know, the small wheels that are on, like, a little uh, revolving thing, and they sit, like, at the bottoms of chairs and stuff. And he puts these on his back and rolls across the desert like a tank or something. It's the most ridiculous thing he's ever done. But it works. He manages to beat King Hatap, and um, King Hatap ends up, like, falling on a sword or something. And Cleopatra loves... Iron Man and Iron Man fades away and transports back in time to the present day. And, oh, look, on the markings on the inside of King Hatap's tomb, it shows Cleopatra embracing an armored figure. What's that all about? Oh, and a month later, they go to a Cleopatra movie and the reporter's like, hey, Tony, you still think you'd have a chance with Cleopatra? And he says, well, stranger things have happened. (laughs) And yeah. That reporter is obsessed with Cleopatra. Right. Now, of course... Now that you point out that there's a movie, 
that kind of makes more sense. I thought he was just a creep. Because, <laughs> like, at the beginning, he's like, how do you feel about Cleopatra? He's like, you mean Cleopatra? Yeah, you're like, you can get all these girls and you can get Cleopatra? Uh, I think she's dead. And then, like, at the end, hey, so you still think you can maybe get Cleopatra? It's like, okay, guy, calm down. We get it. You think <laughs> I could bag Cleopatra? That's cool. Leave me alone. <laughs> I could see him being told by his editor to go do puff pieces to you know promote the movie and everything. Right, or the tie into the movie. right. That makes it a lot better. Yeah, yeah. But it does seem kind of out of nowhere. And I forgot that he's like, yeah, she's a bit old for me, I think is the way he yeah. answered it the first time. Right, but you can tell he's just like, who knows? I don't, what? You know, he's just trying to be so, polite. So th- there are lots of things about the story that I don't like. But one thing I do like is the Don Heck art. I was just going to say, Donnie Heck sure makes everything a little better, doesn't he? Yeah. He turks, he takes the ridiculous stuff and at least makes it look really Yeah, it's really worth turning the pages. Cause. And and he does a very nice Elizabeth Taylor-ish Cleopatra. Uh-huh. Um, and that splash page where it has like the one image of her, I compared my re- detailed recolored version with the scan of tales of suspense that was published mm-hmm. and the retouch re-edited version is is very it, it's it's a benefit to the image um so i did a lot of looking i am not an expert on cleopatra history but i did look up some information about her life can i get a general idea for the timeline and here's the interesting thing although elizabeth taylor and her beauty were like major attractions of the film and her portrayal of Cleopatra mm-hmm. and the different outfits that she was wearing. Cleopatra is believed to have been a not very attractive woman. I believe like, it's more about her features and they weren't necessarily pretty. They were just, inter- they were like unique or something. Right. And also she came across to both Julius Caesar and Mark Antony as a very clever person, a very capable leader. And those kinds of things were attractive. She did try to woo one other ruler, the uh, King Herod of Judea, and he rejected her. So he wasn't having it. And I have a feeling that if she were like, you know, classically beautiful, that might have gone differently. Well, you, you um, know, that stuff was all about power anyway. So, you know, if you're royalty or commander of, you know, countries or whatever, you're hooking up with somebody else to, to increase your power more than because she's pretty. And for her, definitely, she was, I mean, and I, this is a note for the end of the story, but whenever she says to Iron Man, I could really, you know, I'm really in love with you. I want you to stay. I could totally see Cleopatra saying that as a ploy, mm-hmm. because if this is happening at the point in her life that I think it is, she has just lost her Roman protection. And now Rome is coming against her and she needs help. So Mark Antony is dead. And he was the only one saving her from, you know, being attacked by Rome. Because, anyways, we can get more to that in a minute. But, um, yeah. So, getting into the actual story here. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of thoughts. I, but I like that Tony flies across the world to help scientific endeavors. I know. We called it ransacking and stuff like that. And I'm sure he is. I don't know how official this guy is or his friend or whatever. But um, Well, it's just, it's just, it's just like... Even if he has official license from England to go to this tomb, yeah. because Egypt is ruled by England in the 60s, maybe, I don't know. It's still white people, you know, taking stuff from a country that's not theirs. You're right. Yeah. And, and granted, I, I totally understand. I am judging 1960s events through a 2018 lens. I understand that. 
it doesn't make what they're doing any less questionable at the very least. No, but it gives Iron Man excuses to go different places anytime there's anything that they need his help with as Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally does. That's kind of cool. And Iron Man is Tony's close friend here, Mm -hmm. not his bodyguard yet. Yeah. I almost wish that Tony Stark had just figured this out for him, but I guess that's not as exciting. But Tony needs. Oh, you're right. Tony needs to do some things once in a while, or people are going to start wondering. Because Tony has the weapons know-how. Tony has the gadgets. Right. Tony. He invented the armor, mo- technically, or did he? I don't know. He didn't say that yet. He's never said that, has he? Well, yeah, he built the armor in in, in Tibet. Oh, does the world know right, that right. Tony built Iron Man's armor? No, I don't know. I don't know if that's been said yet. Right. So he needs to start pulling his own weight as Tony Stark, or people are going to be like. Why don't you just send Iron Man over? Who needs you? And some issues like open with Tony Stark being awesome as an inventor, mm-hmm. technology guy. Um, we have seen Iron Man run low on power during a fight. Right. It's it's kind of like a kryptonite weakness. It's kind of a time limit, like the torch gets weak occasionally. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time, that at least I can remember, that he's like in a social situation and then gasping for life, and he needs to either recharge or he's going to die. And it plays no part in the story, which is interesting. Like, it, it's right. just a reminder just- to us that he has this problem. Um, but I like that scene because it does remind me that he has this problem, and he's not as cool as he once was. Mm-hmm. Like, he can't even get through the night at a party anymore. He's got to get carried upstairs. They probably thought he was drunk. And, you know, he's just laying there on the floor plugged in. That's pretty humiliating for a, you know, and awesome it, it works as a storytelling thing for uh- – for storytelling, because like we can be reminded of his electrical needs mm. at this point in the story. Oh. When later in the story, there's not going to be any opportunity to have him recharge, so they don't want to make him weak then. Right. He does say something like, good thing I just charged up before I got kidnapped or something. Right. Um, I don't know when they're going to get rid of all these like modules and gadgets and stuff he uses, because eventually he's just going to be kind of self-sufficient. Except for certain stories, probably where he goes to build something. Right now, it seems like everything he does is a transistor-powered thing that he keeps in a pocket somewhere or something. Right. And I don't like most of them, but I do like when Iron Man wears goggles. I think that looks pretty cool. <laughs> that is fun. <laughs> like his regular lenses are not lenses. They're just holes in his mask. Right. And so, so he has to put on the tiny fluoroscope. I mean, eventually he'll just punch his way through that wall instead of turning on the diamond cutter thingy. But, but while we're on that page, panel one mm-hmm. – as I said earlier, we're in Egypt. Yeah. We're in Northern Africa. There should be more brown people. These guys right here, they should be darker skinned. Maybe they're Moorish. Maybe they're Arabic. Maybe they're Bedouin. They should be something besides white people in turbans and robes. Yeah, you said that in the plot. And so I was kind of looking like a lot of these panels are just him and his friend, that white English guy who's raiding their country. Uh, uh-huh. But then there is the whole restaurant scene and the lady dancing isn't particularly dark. The guy with the fez isn't particularly dark. The waiters, right. the waiters aren't dark. And then, yeah, right here, all these people wearing turbans are essentially just white guys dressed in Egyptian clothing. And I didn't know if they were trying to go for a Casablanca vibe. I felt like they were, which is why I mentioned it. And in Casablanca, it's of course all you know, fair-skinned actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I honestly don't know if a wealthy nightclub resort uh, type of place. That would attract a lot of traveling wealthy people. What if you're going to if, if that's going to be a predominantly white establishment or not? I just don't know. Yeah, I, I seriously doubt Stanley knows either though. So they're right. probably just whitewashing it. Um. So we meet King Hatem, mm-hmm. which is kind of random. Like he just sort of like his friend comes in and goes uh, to Tony's tent and is like, "Oh, he's vanished." 
I'm going to go look for him. Okay. And then like, oh, no, here I am. I didn't vanish. I just walked away. And I've heard about you somehow, even though that was off panel. And I need you because you know stuff, I hear. Yeah. That was a little weak. Like All that business. A little, a little weak. Yeah. Um, but he does give his backstory uh-huh. as he was leading a rebellion against Cleopatra. Now, I, 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 I did do some reading about Cleopatra. I don't claim to be an expert. So any of this I say could be wrong. Um, as she was establishing her rule in her teens, mm-hmm. her younger brother was co-ruler with her after their father died. And since he was the male and should therefore be the main ruler, she was actually expelled for a while. But with the help of Julius Caesar, after wooing him, she put down her younger brother's armies and he tried to flee from battle and ended up drowning. So she went from being co-ruler with her younger brother to being the sole ruler of, of Egypt. And that was the only rebellion I saw in the general outline of her life that I read. I didn't expect they expect Haytat to be based on any real history, but this is that that's what I found. They do mention his uh, association with the sacred asp on his finger. Mm-hmm. Um, Cleopatra is associated with the asp because at the end of her life, when she's taken prisoner by um, Octavian, who would later be called Augustus Caesar, she commits suicide by letting an asp bite her. Okay. Rather than being taken prisoner, she gets she has a poisonous snake killer and dies. Okay. Um, so that's just kind of, you know, some things. I was trying to figure out how this might relate to actual history. He says he's leading a rebellion. He's a king leading a rebellion to retake Egypt from Queen Cleopatra. Hmm. Nothing like that really happened. So that's just made as up. As far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. But like, like you said earlier, Stanley might not really know what he's doing. He's just pulling ideas from the movie and putting it into his, show, into his comic, I guess. Well, this guy's like Mr. Magical Guy, so he can't be real anyway, I guess. Right. Um, I love that Tony. I mean, it takes away from the drama a little bit because it, you know, now there's no uh, nefarious cloud over his head. But I like that Tony's like thinking to himself, he doesn't have to blackmail me to go back in time. I totally want to go back in time. That sounds awesome. I love that. Yeah. Because like, yeah, I was thinking whenever he started to say, "I've revived your men. I've ended the plague." I would be like, "Oh, they're all better. Let's take you out." But then Tony's like, "Ooh, I want to go back in time. Give me that TARDIS." Yeah. And uh, then he just turns to Iron Man, which, of course, at that point, he's indestructible through this entire story. So, again, no real drama. I, I, I Like, maybe if they had come up with him, you know, running out of power towards the end and having no power, that might have been interesting. I mean, at this point, he pretty much just obliterates everybody. No problem. But notice what he says there. He says, um, where's the page? Returns to Iron Man. He says, I've buried my attache case. I won't need it until I return to the present. Guess what he never comes back for? Yeah, but it's empty. It is empty. It's I don't know if it's like specially designed. Oh, to, does he just dig it back up in the present? <laughs> I mean, it's probably destroyed if it sat there that uh, long. But I'm sure desert desert landscapes are, are mercurial. I'm pretty sure, but that would be really cool. Like if it were some other type of landscape that would be more solid after a while to just go dig it maybe up. He, that would be maybe great. he put a stick there. Maybe. Um, okay, so if this is the time you think it is, and Rome is going to win. Doesn't that mean Tony is a little bit irresponsible here and just deciding he may to, to, he may or may not be changing history completely right now? He is totally changing history right now. If this is what I think it is, the only time I'm aware of where um, Rome came against Egypt is at the end of Cleopatra's life. Mm-hmm. Um, after Julius Caesar, the question was, who was going to rule Rome? And you had Octavian, Octavius and you had Mark Antony. 
And Mark Antony, having been Julius Caesar's general, wanted to rule. And of course, he and Cleopatra married. So Cleopatra and Mark Antony are standing against Octavius. Once Mark Antony dies, Cleopatra no longer has his support against Octavius. And Octavius ends up attacking and capturing her. And Tony Stark flies in and saves her. He stops the army and then goes after her and gets her back. Yeah. Right. And that's Um, what creates the alternative Blackbeard. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There must be a connection. There, there, there. Yes. Um, There was some recoloring done on some of the characters here that I think, I want to think, were actually miscolored in the original comic. Okay. So page 10 Mm -hmm. at the bottom, the woman that Cleopatra is with or the man that Cleopatra is or whoever it is is colored fair in the original and is colored brown in the recolor. Okay, well, I got fair. And the different features, like the different line work and everything, makes me think it was intended to be a non-European face. Yeah. Um, And then we have another recoloring at the top of 11. Um, Cleopatra's lounging on the bed, and you have three people surrounding Iron Man. Um, Only one of them is left white, the one on the left Mm. with the pharaoh hat. The two people with um, turbans are, or whatever those head coverings are called, they might not be turbans, they are colored in darker. Nope. Not for me. It's all whitewashed. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. And then, um, where was another one? There was another one. I had three written down. Oh, back a little bit. Whenever Haytap is giving his backstory, Mm -hmm. on page six. On page six, there are Haytap, Cleopatra, and two men Mm -hmm. in um, non-royal clothing. And they were colored fair in the original. They have been colored significantly darker in this. And, you know, in the towards the end of Egypt, there was a biracial system because the Greeks had conquered Egypt. And so all of the rulers were descended from Alexander the Great. And so they were all fair skinned. Their ruling class was basically Greek descended. And so you had this, uh, you know, racial division between the ruling class and everyone else that goes back, you know, a few centuries. But when you talk about like ancient Egypt, they're all dark. They're all African. Yeah. And so there would, no one would look fair. They would all be darker skinned. And that's how you should represent Egypt. But I think at least I grew up with this idea. And I certainly saw it reproduced in stories about Egypt that the Pharaohs were white. Well, Elizabeth Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor, uh, you see it in Stargate. Uh-huh. You have all those gods, but the one in charge is white. Um, and sure, Cleopatra, fair-skinned. She was fr- descended from Greece. Um, might, might not be as white as like Irish people up in you know the British Isles, but certainly fairer than the African uh, Egyptian descended natives. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I just stuff like this that I didn't know about that I've learned over the years. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's news for someone out there in listener land. Well, they certainly didn't know about it. No, these people didn't. Um, or didn't care to anyway. Or at least the colors didn't. The artists might have known, but the colors did not care to know. You know what doesn't work well on sand? Hmm. <laughs> little wheel, little bitty wheels. Why does he need to do this? I don't know. He can fly really fast. Uh-huh. So why not just fly into that stupid chariot? Because that's exactly what he did earlier with the Roman forces was like flying around and taking them out. Yeah. What is Gold Warrior? What is the Golden Warrior doing? Something you wouldn't understand. Yeah, none of us understand this. This makes no sense. Right. 
Uh, oh well, it's they're trying something different. I, they, they, I guess it's worth trying. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, do they even get feedback on this kind of stuff? I wonder. Like, does anybody ever write letters going, "That was silly"? Probably not. Well, tells of suspense since it's an anthology book, it does not get a letters column for a while. Yeah, um, they give letters columns to their feature books before they give them to the uh, anthology books. So we'll probably never know what they thought about this issue. They wouldn't post those kind of letters anyway. Yeah. Any other thoughts on 44? No. Guess who shows up in 45? Um, the Mandarin? Pepper Potts and Happy Hogan. Oh, that's Hogan. right. I knew that. And these stories get longer. I feel like Pepper Potts and, and Happy Hogan aren't going to make these stories better, maybe. But we'll see. I mean, I I, I enjoy that, Iron Man. I'm not saying he's horrible, but I feel like adding yeah. those two is probably going to add a lot of cliche stuff that's going to annoy me. But we'll find out. Well, we, we are going to get more costume villains. Okay. Because we have... We have a freeze guy, but then we have the Crimson Dynamo and the Melter and and uh, the the Doll Man. But less said about him, the better. Um, so we are definitely going to get more classic comic book type of stories. Yeah, Iron Man's Rogue Gallery isn't all that amazing. So, well, I guess once he starts getting to the you know Red Dynamo and all that stuff. Yeah, if you think about it, though, not a whole lot of Rogue's Galleries are very good right now. Um, Marvel's not great with Rogue's Galleries. Yeah. Yeah, not yet anyway. No. We're getting there. Yeah. Okay. Well, since we have finished the month of May, you know what that means. We need to judge it. We need to judge it and find it hopefully not lacking. Well, it's never lacking. Let's see. So, you got it open or you want me to go through it? Um, no, I have I have it open and ready to go. go. Ahead. So, we have, um, well, it's last week and this week. So, there are Sergeant Fury with the seven doomed men. Mm-hmm. There are um, Journey into Mystery 94, which was Superman versus Luthor, or Loki turns uh, Thor evil for a while. Superman and, teams up with Luthor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Teams up with Luthor to take over the world. So he turns Thor evil and then, you know, United Nations, Odin, all that stuff. Um, Tales of Astonish 46 was the Ant-Man and the Wasp versus the Cyclops, uh-huh. where the Wasp really took off and became her own person. Um, then this episode, Strange Tales 111, where we had Torch versus the Asbestos Man and Doctor Strange versus Baron Mordo. Uh, and do- those can count as separate stories, as separate votes. Fantastic Ooh. Four, seven. T- yeah. Okay. I have I have the Torch and Doctor Strange coded differently in my spreadsheet, so we can s- separate those. Fantastic Four, 17, which is the Doctor Doom, and Tales of Suspense 44, which is Cleopatra. Okay. You got any thoughts? Um, I usually let you go. All first. right, I'll go first. <laughs> I'll say my bottom ones are Thor, Torch, and Iron Man. Okay, but Iron Man was drawn by Don Heck, and that was fun to look at. So he's out. Asbestos okay. Man is cheese as he is. I don't know. Like he didn't really annoy me. In fact, if you think of him as a comical character, then maybe it's actually interesting. So I'm going to go Thor because that's just super dumb. The whole thing. Superman, super dumb, the knocking him on his head thing, the undoing the entire story in the end. Yeah, didn't like that. So Thor is my vote for this month, for worst, obviously. Um, Top two would be Sergeant Fury and Fantastic Four, with Ant-Man being kind of above average, or, you know, not the worst, but not the best. Because I really like, like we said, I like Ant-Man and Wasp's uh, overall, you know, superheroing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Fantastic Four as the winner, though. We all knew that. That's pretty obvious. 
right. it's just a great story. Good sequel. They defeat Doctor Doom. And by they, I mean the invisible girl defeats Doctor Doom, which was super exciting yes. and completely unforeseen by me. So it was nice to be surprised by that. Like, I think I verbally out loud said yes or something when I read that panel. So, yeah, that was really fun. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm really kind of there with you. The, the bottom choices were Thor, Torch, Doctor Strange, and um, Iron oh, Man. Oh, I forgot about Doctor Strange, yeah. Yeah, that was down there, yeah. too. I did some looking on Iron Man with the history and everything. I kind of got invested in the story. So I, I feel like a little bit of emotional investment in that. So I can't really say that was the worst story. Um, certainly there were some cool ideas in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it wasn't bad. It was fun, kind of. There was just no particular drama to it or anything. Right. Loki and Thor. Loki turning Thor evil. And, I don't know. And then Asbestos Man. <laughs> Either one. Yeah, I think I'm going to go. And I, I don't want to judge Doctor Strange too harshly at this point because I just... I'm still feeling him out. Yeah, he doesn't have enough you know? pages. Right. Like, in the five pages, there's not a whole lot of bad or a whole lot of good to, to happen. It's overall kind of a blessed story, but it's, I don't know. So I'm going to go with the torch for the worst this month. Okay. And the best, I agree that Sergeant Fury was a very enjoyable story. And I'm honestly torn between the Fantastic Four and Ant-Man. Yeah. Because I honestly was in love with the wasp in that issue yeah it's just it's a it's a terrible villain so Um, the cyclops and the aliens are horrible so the wasp is amazing and beats a cyclops or invisible girl is amazing and beats dr doom right so i'm trying to think about the negatives of those two stories so the negatives of the dr doom story were that were they're really ridiculous yes um, <laughs> robot ghosts. ghost yeah robots uh-huh. the poor writing con- uh, continuity with the timing of everything mm-hmm. um mm, you know i'm just going to kind of balance you out i'm going to give it to the ant-man story that's cool so i feel like i like when he gets a between vote the, the between the two of us we hit both of my bottom two and between the two of us we hit both of my top two so um yeah i like when Ant Man wins it happens once in a while it does happen once in a while. All right. Well, um, you should write us an email and tell us what you thought about Cleopatra, the five-hour film. Or who was cooler, Wasp or Invisible Girl this month? And this is episode 25, so we may have enough email for an email episode like in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Because we did last one around episode 13 and episode 26 is next week. So um, we'll check our email bags. We just recorded the first email episode tonight, so I I, I couldn't promise you. <laughs> Let's hope. That'll be cool. Yeah. Um, so if you want to send us an email, you could go to our website, makearsmarvel.com. There's a handy little contact form there, or you can just write directly to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. But also on the website, you'll find places to subscribe. I mean, we're in the 25th episode now, so I'd have to say this every time. I'm not sure. You guys already are subscribing, apparently, if you're listening to this. Um, but don't forget that the website also has pictures from what we talk about and sometimes we'll post videos and so you should check it out every once in a while it's there it is there um i, I like the images that you create like as the banners for the episodes oh yeah that too and then whenever, whenever you pull out all the images for the uh actual you know conversation pieces that's good too so um yes um until the asbestos man survives the asbestos cancer 
and puts the suit back on to go against the Great Lake Avengers. Make ours marvel. <laughs>